Welcome, and thank you for streaming this sermon. At Heritage Baptist Church, we believe that the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus can truly change lives. So it is our hope and prayer that this service stirs up your affection for Christ and helps you to draw closer to Him. For more information, please visit hbchazlett.org. If there's anybody that got to the point in their life, they said this one thing I do, it had to be Noah. And he didn't do it in his own strength. So we want to talk about those things. Romans 15 verse 4, talking about Old Testament, Old Testament scriptures. Paul says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, New Testament saints, that we through patience and comfort, 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 remember that word comfort? of the scriptures might have hope, a confident expectation of a certain result, a certain outcome. Now think about that. When we read Hebrews eleven seven, it refers back to the Old Testament. And think about that the Holy Spirit had the details written down that he had written down on purpose that we're going to look at in a few minutes. But you know what 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says? It says it twice. It says in verse 4 and all down through to verse 11, it says these things not only were written down, but these things happened. They happened for examples unto us. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, search the Scriptures. That means dig in and study and cross-reference and, and think about it and make sure you understand the words and get definitions. Search the Scriptures for they testify of me. Now, I don't know about you, but I would not have necessarily, I would have, I would have preached it and said, hey, this is interesting. I mean, you can kind of see this. I mean, Jonah did say salvation is of the Lord when he got out of that well's belly. But when Jesus was pressed by some religious people saying, give us a sign of all the Old Testament passages, he said, hey, Jonah's a picture of my death, burial, and resurrection. You see what's going on here? Once you learn some good Bible study methods, some hermeneutics, you can start seeing some of these things yourself. And I don't know anybody that would argue that the ark is not a picture of Jesus Christ, okay? And by the way, I'll give you some handouts tomorrow night, and we'll touch on this tomorrow night. If I preach 10 hours, they'd just be touching on it, amen? I mean, that's what the Bible's like. But Baptists ought to especially feel an impact about Noah's flood. Because water baptism... And Noah's flood are pictures of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, where did you get that? Your pastor told me that, and I thought he was pretty sharp. First Peter, don't turn there. First Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. says, the waters in the baptistry picture the wrath of God. Just like the waters did in Noah's day. And when you baptize somebody, it is extremely dramatic because it's as though Michael Wiggins was on the cross with Christ. And when they put him in the tomb, Michael was in there. And Brother Wiggins was there when he rose from the dead. That's what it's saying. You remember when Joseph Arimathea craved the body of Jesus? They took the body down and they washed him in Nicodemus. And they put it in that, in that uh, tomb, that grave. Whose grave was that? Whose tomb was that? Joseph's. That's what you did when you got saved. You put Jesus in your tomb. You did the same thing Joseph Arimathea did. You laid him in there and said, hey, he died for me. 
And he was buried for me. Amen. It's, it's amazing. And I'll tell you what, if you don't think baptism is significant because of what it pictures, go back and look at the flood event. The flood was a pretty big deal. Amen. So it, it's, it's a rich thing. I want us to get a little taste of it tonight, okay? All right, so you should be in Hebrews chapter 11. We're just touching that again because we just want to keep reminding ourselves that God could have brought up so many people. And I had a good conversation last night with somebody about other Bible characters. There are some great Bible characters. One of them is Joseph. I preached on Joseph a whole lot. I mean, I love Joseph. I've done Bible conferences on Joseph. And uh, when uh, three wrongs made a right, three major wrongs in his life, and yet God made a right out of every one of them. God meant it for good, amen? By the way, God's doing the same thing in your life. If you don't think Joseph understood the gospel, you don't understand the story of Joseph. His brothers didn't understand how he could not be resentful. They could not understand how he could forgive them because he extended grace and mercy to his brothers. That's what Paul was talking about in Philemon. The gospel is so rich and we need it tonight. We live in a world with all kinds of insecurities and people mistreat us and they let us down and we let them down and we just can't believe that God really is that constant and that consistent and He really cares that much for us. God invested everything He has in you. You say, what did you just say? We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Jesus became one of us. He's a member of the human race. He created all this to make Himself known to us and we're going to be together forever. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You say, where is work? Ken Ham's got that full-scale replica up north. They put a lot of time to it. Took some skill to build that thing. Amen. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's not like the one Noah built. Guarantee it. And uh, I'm talking about the, the way he put it together as we're going to see in a little bit. But it's absolutely amazing. But just stop and think a minute. We got some pretty smart people running around, and they usually go home about 75, 80, 85, 90 years of age. Hello? Albert Einstein was pretty smart. Can you imagine living 600 years? 600 years. Think about that. Think about if you had the generations before you still alive. Hey, these pre flood people were no dummies, believe me. There's nothing, nothing challenging me about believing whether or not this ark was really built. Prepared an ark. Look at this. Prepared an ark to the saving of his house. It saved them from that present worldly situation of wickedness. It saved them from the actual floodwaters. And because of what it pictured and all that was involved, as we're going to see in a few minutes, it saved them from the ultimate wrath of God. And I do believe Noah's going to be there in heaven waiting on us. We read it right here. It says this. By the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. All right, if you look on the screen over here, what the ark did physically to Noah, or for Noah, what the ark did physically for Noah and his family, Christ did for him relationally. You know Christianity is not a religion. Religion is man trying to reach up to God, trying to stack up his good works and, and trying and and it's the idea that if I'll do this, it's, if I'm shoved here and shoved there and I do this and this, maybe I can get God's acceptance. No. Christianity is God reaching down to us where we are. It's a relationship. You see, we offended a person. And that person came and fixed it for us. Amen? Amen. 
what did, what, did, what did Jesus do as soon as Adam and Eve sinned? We talked about this Sunday. He went after them. Went on a missions trip. Remember what David Livingston said? The great missionary in Africa? God only had one son. And he made him a missionary. Amen? The ark, what, ark, what the ark did for Noah physically, Christ did for him relationally, emotionally. I touched on it last night. He blessed them after the flood. I'm going to show you something. I want to make sure you get it. You know when it came time to get inside the ark? You know what God said? Come into the ark. Did you ever catch that? Come. He didn't say go. He didn't say, he go, well, I guess it's about time. It's all done. And uh, I think we got everything ready. I'm waiting for God to give me a call. I hadn't heard him call yet, so I guess we'll go in. No, God didn't say, Noah, go into the ark. No, he said, come. At least implying his presence. You're not going to be this alone, Noah. He walked with God. Didn't the Bible say he walked with God? Did Jesus make Old Testament appearances? Who was that walking in the garden? It's possible that Christ may have literally formed like a sculpture the body of Adam and may have literally bent down and breathed physically into his nostrils a breath of life. Amen. He made many Old Testament appearances. Who wrestled with Jacob all night? You understand what I'm saying? So it's just it's astounding that he would say that. And oh, by the way, when the flood was over, you know what, you know what the Bible says? God didn't say, come out of the ark. He said, go. I don't think we have near enough information, but it wouldn't surprise me if Christ didn't appear to them a few times in that ark. It wouldn't surprise me. I do think he was definitely implying you're not going to be in this alone. And let me tell you something. I don't think that was terrifying. I don't think it was horrific. But it was no joy ride. Okay? And it doesn't take any real miracles to make it work. That's what's so exciting when you actually study it and the books that have been written, the, the great works done today. It, the animals coming to them would be miraculous. But that ark was so well designed, and you go up there and see it up north there, and you can see that, you know, animals, animals can hibernate. Not just bears hibernate. When animals sense different things, they can hibernate. And you don't have to take a 100-foot dinosaur in there, as we talked about. You can take a young dinosaur in there. See what we're saying? There's plenty of room. It's, it's amazing. So just wrap your head around this and notice this. Intellectually and spiritually with God. He as our greater ark, this is so key, he as our greater ark will do the same thing for you and I. All right, I gave you a little white pamphlet. Jonathan Edwards read a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Talk about God's wrath for our sins. People that were hearing it, he read the sermon by candlelight. And uh, I don't agree with anything but Jonathan Edwards. Number one, he was a congregationalist, so his church doctrine was off, but he was a great preacher. And, you know, he is credited. And by the way, a lot of people were praying when he read that. America was experiencing a great awakening. And they said this is what triggered it when it finally everything came together. Well, he, he, I took part of an of a, of a article, a sermon he wrote about how seeing Christ in the Scriptures, when the child of God looks at the Word of God and sees the Son of God, he's changed by the Spirit of God, the image of God, for the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 3.18. I found that some time back, and I printed it out just to show that there's at least two people saying that, this Jonathan and that Jonathan, okay? By the way, Charles Ryrie wrote a book on that. I've shared that with you in the past. 
your pastor studied it. It's a biblical sound principle. The Bible's about Jesus Christ, amen? And uh, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. And thy word is truth, amen? Well, this is kind of flowery. It was written 300 years ago, and it's, it's a little different. You read these old, he wasn't technically a Puritan, but you read these guys. But I want you to see what he's saying. So I just gave that to you tonight as a bonus. Just take it, don't read it right now, okay? But read it when you get home or tomorrow. Just go through it and see some of the things he says in there, all right? Okay, grab your little other sheet here. You're going to need that tonight. And uh, I want you to think along the lines Brother Wiggins' song was right on target for us. How did Noah find grace? How did Noah go from faith to faith, as we've pointed out? Noah prioritized his life to build that ark. He got preoccupied with that ark, but that ark was a great picture, a great picture. I don't think you have to buy into a whole lot what I'm going to say tonight to think that when he built that ark, he had to be thinking ahead of time what the ark was going to picture, okay? So look down at chapter 6 of Genesis, go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. And uh, we're going to touch on the ark just for a few minutes. Our primary focus in this study is Noah, but we got to get him in a context. Okay, a context. There are Bible principles, and those principles are that God is who God is, and man is who God made him to be, and God relates to us on the basis of the coming life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in the Old Testament. He relates to us after that based upon what Christ actually did. And so Noah, being a spiritual man, and let me just remind you, this is really key to all this. Noah took seven sets of clean animals on board the ark, all right, for food and for sacrifice. Okay? And uh, when, we, when we see how this sets up, I, I think it's without any doubt that Noah had certain thoughts. If God killed an innocent animal or two to clothe Adam and Eve in the garden... And Abel's sacrifice was accepted, the sacrifice of a, of a lamb being offered up, first thing of the flock, and Cain's was rejected from the cursed ground, the fruits of his hands, a fruit basket. I mean, you have a principle set up here. It's very likely Noah had altars that he built and worshiped God before the flood. But after the flood, it makes it very clear he built an, offer, an altar. And that's a picture of the coming death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, see? So he has a gospel mindset, it's a gospel concept. So think about that, and then uh, we're going to see another one tomorrow, we're going to touch on it. The rainbow, it's not called a rainbow in the Bible, it's called a bow, B-O-W. We can't be dogmatic about this, but a lot of writers bring it up, it's the same word for bow and arrow. And the Bible talks about God shooting out his arrows of wrath. When you come to the book of Psalms, God says several times, he, he likens lightning bolts to arrows being shot out. You can read that. We read that the other day in Psalm 18. And the flood would have had that kind of activity eventually as the whole atmospheric situation was changing. And so God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. He's going to say that tonight. And the Burger said, actual covenant gets set up in chapter 9. And God has this bow, but it's not, it's not positioned where God could shoot one more arrow at him and say, okay, now I've got this bow and arrow. You better walk the straight and narrow, but you don't, I'm going I'm to let you have one. No, it's a bow, same word for bow and arrow, but there's no arrow in it. And the idea is the rainbow, seven colors, 
okay, perfection, etc. This rainbow, okay, it's a bow without an arrow. And it's like God, and God said, I'll never destroy the earth again with a flood. Now, have we had floods with that since? Yeah. Not the whole world, though, see. It was a worldwide flood. He says the next time it's going to be by fire. So it's, it's another gospel picture, see, because Christ took the arrows for us. He took the wrath of God for us, amen. It's as though Christ was shot with ten arrows on the cross. Why? Because we broke all ten commandments. So, Brother Stewart, I haven't broken all ten commandments. You have up here. Yeah, well, all of us, amen. We are accountable for our thought life. Jesus, if you thought certain thoughts towards a woman and you're a man, you shouldn't think. In a sense, you've already done it. If you're so mad at somebody that, that you, you'd like to, Jesus said, you've done it. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? So, again, I'm just pulling this in front of you because I just don't want you to think I'm just pulling this out of the sky. If we had time, we'd read Genesis to Revelation. And we'd get in the mood, okay? And then we'd really see these things, okay? So, just, I don't want you to have to cut me too much slack, all right? All right, so you're there in Genesis chapter 6. Let's read it and we'll pray. Look at verse number 11. Make thee an ark of gopher wood. That's the same word. It's related to the word for kafar. It's a Hebrew word. It probably is not talking about a species. It's probably not talking about cypress or cedar. And he probably could have easily used uh, cypress wood because a very dense wood used for shipbuilding years ago. But it's probably talking about coating it on the outside and on the inside because he's going to talk about covering it. And it's probably more of a process, wood that's gone through a certain process. And that was to make it uniform. That was to help seal it off. And if you go to the museum in Kentucky, if you read about it, you're not just talking about a 500 foot long ship and just long boards. You're talking about pegs. You're talking about interconnectivity. You're talking about a real well-designed ship, not a Mayflower that Pilgrims came over on. That wasn't even really made for passengers. That was, just a, that was just a freight ship, and they were just stuck in that thing. Those things leaked. Those are just cheap ships. This was a major vessel. Say, so well, you can't build a 500-foot ship where it won't break in half. You, you can if you do it the way they describe it. And remember, this pitch on the outside is probably resin. And you get that thing coat on either side, and you read Psalm 29 and other passages we don't have time to go into, I guarantee you it was made a unibody, okay? Monolithic. Room shalt thou make in the ark, and shalt pitch it within and without, with pitch, no leaks. Not only keeping it from leaking, but holding it even more firmly together, very sturdy. And this is the fashion, God says, thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. Mr. Ham built it basically with an 18 to 19 half inch cubit. It's about 500 feet long. And hey, in the pre-flood world, who knows how big these guys were? You know, you're going to walk up to, if you and I are the same size we are in, on, in heaven as we are down here, you may walk up to Noah and go, wow, how's the weather up there? He may be 10 or 12 feet tall. He said, what are you talking about? They live eight or 900 years in a superior environment. Very likely they're a lot bigger. If you know the fossil record? The fossil record. They have found dragonflies with 36-inch wingspan fossils. Cockroaches that are, yeah. Trees that are, bushes now in the fossil record, they're trees. Not everything they find is bigger, 
But a lot of different things they find because, you know, nothing's born big. It has to grow. They find all kinds of bigger things in the flood, pre-flood world and the fossils. You understand what I'm saying? It's a, it's a different world. It was a different world. Okay, so keep going here. These are like little areas. You can peek at this in a minute. And uh, by, by the way, though, what Ken Ham shows you, 500 feet is plenty big. Even if it was bigger. A widow shalt thou make to the ark a separate system designed and placed to it. And in a cubit shalt thou finish it above. And the door of the ark shalt thou set in the side thereof. One door. With lower second and third story shalt thou make it. And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. Where it is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything is in the earth shall die. Let me just jump ahead. The Bible says in the New Testament, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Yes, Romans, and yes, Gentiles at large, and yes, Jews were responsible for the death of Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 2 verse 24 says, wicked hands slew him, but yet it was God's predetermined plan. Isaiah 53 says that God would actually bruise his son. God was inactive in Christ's suffering on the cross physically, emotionally, and relationally. Why would Christ suffer physically and emotionally and relationally? Because he's paying for our sins. Sin causes emotional, relational, and physical sufferings. Amen. Amen. God is not just posturing. God is not just playing a role. This is real stuff. You know what's wrong with our world tonight? Sin. Period. That's it. Second Peter says we're going to be in heaven wherein dwelleth righteousness. The problem tonight is sin. Me first. My way is to God's way. We've all turned our own way. Amen. And God literally put him in our place. And let me just stress a couple things again because we're going to be looking at some passages. You and I have to be represented from the womb to the tomb. Why? Because we started this life in our mother's womb. And God requires a substitute from your conception to your death. And because Christ conquered death, paid for all of our sins, he rose from the dead. Amen? Okay? If Christ would have come just all of a sudden as a man at the age of 30, he would have already been disqualified because he's not one of us. But if he would have come here at 30 and he would have taught for a few years and went to the cross and died, we couldn't have gotten saved. He is our substitute from the womb to the, to the tomb. Amen. Does that make sense? All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So who's Christ? He's God in the flesh. Amen. Okay. So just, you know these things, but just getting them in front of you. All right, look at chapter 7. Look at verse 1. The Lord said to Noah, Come thou and all thy house unto the ark. For thee have I seen, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. Okay? In other words, he had already transferred his trust to what God said was coming. The coming Messiah. All right? And, um, uh, wow, it's just, it's just amazing stuff. And look at verse number 5. And Noah did according to... Noah did mostly what God said that he should do. 
He crossed every T and dotted every I. Amen. Look what it says here. And Noah did according unto all the Lord commanded him. Now, we're going to pray after I say this. I think we have to pause for a minute and realize the gravity of the situation. What he was preparing for had never happened before and it'll never happen again. You cannot think of a more major event outside of creation and Christ dying on the cross than Noah's flood. You understand what I'm saying? It is, it is absolutely so significant. And we don't have it within us to do such things in our own strength. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Noah had no Bible. He had the teachings of Adam, the generations behind him. You, you, <laughs> you couldn't tell stories of Adam for a long time. He's still around. So I'm sorry, that's not what happened. Amen? If George Washington was still alive, he'd say, I didn't cut down a cherry tree. Amen? So again, you've got you to get into this. And you see, the Old Testament does not tell us everything. It was written for us to understand what God was doing. And there's things you can fill in because man has always been man and God has always been God. And God interrelates with man the same way He did as He did back then, except we just have more information. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray. Father, bless us tonight. Help us the next few minutes to be able to focus and get into what's being said here. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. On the cover here says there's seven ways in which Christ is pictured in the Bible. Different persons, different animals, different objects, different places, different events, different offices, different roles. And we want to see that he's the God-man, the person of Christ. We want to see that he lived a life without sin so we can have that perfectly lived out, law-fulfilling life, transferred to our account, the active righteousness of Christ. And we're also declared righteous. Christ was impeccable. Not only did he not sin, he couldn't sin. You say, what do you mean he couldn't sin? I thought he was tempted at all points like as we are. He was, to show us he couldn't sin. God can't sin. God can't sin. And Jesus was God. And Jesus didn't have a fallen nature. Jesus said, if you thought it, you've done it. So you think Jesus looked at a woman improperly and said, I can't do that. No. He never had a sinful thought. He said, well, I was taught, I was taught. Well, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He said to his enemies, which one are you convinced me of sin? Paul said, I find no fault in him. I don't know how we could go. All right, turn the page. Oh, by the, by the way, down at the bottom, the ascension, intercession, ascent, life, death, burial, resurrection. Open up. Now, we're just going to touch on this for a second because we're going to camp out on the burial. Noah's flood, when that ark was in that water and it was immersed it had water coming down. It had water underneath it. You know what a ship sets in the water? It sinks down in the water. Amen? It's got a draft. It sets down there a while. And the rain is coming down. The rain is going over. It is a picture of Christ, not only dead, but buried. Immersed. Why do we immerse when we baptize? Because we're picturing a death, burial, and resurrection. And one more time, one more time. You can go home and read it. I'll read it right now. But first... Peter 3, 18-22 says water baptism and Noah's flood are like figures. Okay? So I'm not stretching anything here. The burial is so often overlooked, it's extremely important. Okay? So look on the left-hand side. There's, a, there's how you can see Christ in the flood event. The flood waters, 
There was only one flood. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have to die over and over and over? By the way, if you could lose your salvation, Paul says in Hebrews, he'd have to die again. No, he died once for all, amen. But this man after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, comma, sat down. See, why'd you say comma? Because some translations put the comma after he sat down. That means he's not coming back. Watch which Bible you use, okay? The flood was prophesied ahead of time. There was one ark. It was not the best way, and here's some other way. No, there's one ark. Who designed it? Okay. Noah, in the role of a comforter, built the ark. The Holy Spirit built the body of Jesus in the womb of Mary. The Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee, etc. One door. Three floors. That's, that can be suggestive of the triune God. God was in Christ, reconciled the world into himself. It was made of wood. You had to cut down those trees. There had to be death. Resilient wood, covered with pitch. And uh, speaks a lot of things. Man, we're going to see this tomorrow night. I, I couldn't squeeze this in tonight. The water's assuaged. That, that's a big deal. You can read that over top of that mark tomorrow night. The clean animal sacrifice on the altar afterwards. And then the rainbow, okay? All right. On the very back are the five essentials to the gospel. Just peek at those for a minute. The peerless person of Christ. What do you mean by peerless? There's nobody ever been like him. He was fully God and truly man. Our creator became one of us. And let, me, let me stress this again, okay? I've got to leave myself about, ooh, grief. You know, if you just jump up and you guys get in, you're still on the highway, okay? So I just, I've, got to, I've got to pull you in. I, I, I am so grateful that Jesus would hold a little lamb in his arms. I am so thrilled that he would sit down with a woman at the well. Had all the time in the world for the woman at the well. All the time in the world for her. The demon, demoniac of Gadara. By the way, there were two of them there. One gospel writer tells you about both of them. The other one just focuses on one of them. He had all the time. He had the time for the lepers. Amen? You could touch him. John said we handled, we handled the word of life. By the way, before and after the resurrection. They handled him again after he resurrected. What did Jesus say? They thought, they thought they'd seen a ghost. They're up in that upper room Sunday night after, Sunday night after uh, he, Christ had resurrected. He all of a sudden he appears in that upper room. And they're scared. I mean, that, would, that would kind of unnerve you, wouldn't it? And they, you know, and Jesus said, hey, does, does the ghost, does the spirit have flesh and bones? Touch me, handle me. And they did. Amen. I'm talking about the God of the universe. The universe is 13 and a half trillion light years across, they tell us. Different scientists, that's what the scientists up in up, uh, Ken Ham says. I mean, there's, there's several numbers around there. You know, a, tr a, a light year is a long, a long time. Millions of galaxies. He's holding everything together by the word of his power. Jesus is not a smaller version of God. He is just as much God as the Father, just as much God as the Spirit. And yes, he was gentle. And yes, he was kind. But he was Almighty God. Are you following me? Make sure you get a hold of that because sometimes we get whatever. He was fully God and truly man. I love him for his love. I love for everything about him. But I also am amazed at the person of God. I am, I am astounded of the being of God. All-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere at once. 
Don't turn there, but you know what John 3.13 says? When Jesus was here on the earth, he was still in heaven. Yeah. See, just as humanity was down here, but it was God, he's still everywhere at once. God can't stop being God. John 3.13. All right? What about that life he lived? What about that death? He paid our penalty. He literally took the wrath of God for our sins in a body. He had to be in a body, the Bible says, Peter said. Look at putting away of sin's burial and power releasing resurrection. All right, go to this page in here. What am I sharing this with you? I think that, I think that Noah had some great times of contemplation. If Noah walked with God before he built the ark, why wouldn't he have conversations with God while he was building the ark? If you were building the ark, Brother Crawford, Brother Dan, if you were building the ark and you were talking with God before, would you keep talking to God while you're building the ark? Absolutely. If you have that kind of access, look down at these notes here. All right, look at the very top. It says, significance of the burial of Christ. There came on him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment, under the headline there, and poured it on his head. Jesus said, the woman hath wrought a good work upon me. Remember, Judas got upset. He said, that's worth a lot of money. What are you doing? For that she hath poured this ointment on my body. She did it for my what? Burial. Christ is calling attention to his burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, she be told for a memorial of her. And by the way, it's in the Bible. We're talking about it tonight, just like Jesus said. Father, bless us. Help us to see these things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Three things, and I want us to look at some verses. Let's let the Bible set this off. Besides the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies, the Old Testament said these things would happen, the burial of Christ proved that Christ was indeed dead. When they took him down off that cross, it was like a sack of just old potatoes. Just, he was absolutely emaciated. He was completely poured out. They took him down and he was as cold. His body got as cold as that tomb that he was in. They wrapped him up and put him in there. And I mean, if he hadn't been dead, he would have gone into shock. But they pierced his side and water and blood came out. The testimony was he was dead. Pilate was surprised he was already dead. It proved that he was dead because he was there for three days and three nights. Just like Jonah was in the belly of the well. Number two, I don't really mind telling you this. If you're here tonight and you're saved, you're going to die. I'm going to die, unless the rapture happens. But in a sense, there's not a whole lot of difference between the rapture and a Christian dying. You know what death means? It means separation. You know what physical death is? It's when your soul and spirit leave your body. Most of us have been to funerals and seen our loved ones. All we saw was their remain. You knew they weren't there anymore. You really saw it really was a house. This old house once knew my children. This old house once knew my wife. It's just a house. But we have an eternal one in the heavens, amen? Yeah, 2 Corinthians 5. Wow. The rapture, our bodies are going to go with us and our soul and spirit. Jesus said, if you believe me, you'll not die. You really won't die. Do you know to be absent from the body for the Christian is to be present with the Lord? Listen to this. If I died right now, I'm not going to go through a long tunnel looking at a light. The Bible says to be absent from the body for a Christian 
is to be present with the Lord. But Jesus Christ died. He identified with us. He's got to represent us from the womb to the what? What's our number one enemy? That's why the Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Amen? Christ took care of it. Number three, placed our sins forever in the past. A million years from now, God's not going to say, okay, come here. You've been here a million years. I haven't said a word. But we're going to talk about three or four things you did down there that you may have thought I forgot, but I didn't forget. Did, you ever, did parents ever find out something you did when you were a kid and you never told them, they didn't know about it and you thought it was safe? You told dad, said, dad, you remember that truck, how it threw a rod? Remember that? You got in it and you started up and it sounded really bad? Okay. No. You ask me why I'm happy, so I'll just tell you why. Why? My sins are gone. They're buried in the sea. Amen? How does that happen? Well, God just said it. Well, yeah, but you know, the Bible is not written with God just saying something. It says, I said it, believe it. God tells us what is right, and he tells us why it's right. He has such respect for you and I. He wants us to know why the gospel is what it is, how it works. He tells us how to put these things together. He gave Noah the details and the plans to build that ark. And Noah did exactly what he says. And your pastor and these preachers here tonight, we do the very best we know how to teach exactly what the Bible is saying. I have tried to dedicate myself to preach the gospel as clear and as accurately as I know how to do it. And I want you to see it tonight, maybe as you've never seen it before. Listen to this just for a second. When he left those grave clothes behind, that pictures her old life. And when Peter and John ran in there, and John got there first because he was younger, and then Peter got in there, John waited, and Peter looked in there, he saw those grave clothes, he could tell he had not been unwrapped and undone. He could tell he just passed right through it. Amen. It was a testimony. That pictured our old sin, our old nature left in the grave. Now listen, I've shared this with you before. You may remember it. Your pastor may have hit on this, touched on this, whatever. But Christ had a terrestrial body on this earth. He said, what are you talking about, terrestrial body? Where did you get that from? One of the Hollywood movies? No, I got it from 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says this body is a terrestrial body. It's made for the earth. Guess what kind of body you're going to get someday? You're going to get a celestial body. So where would you get that word? 1 Corinthians 15. It contrasts our body that we have right now with the new body we're going to get in seven different ways. This is mortality. I'm going to be clothed with immortality. I got a new body coming. Jesus paid for our sins in a terrestrial body, an earthly body. He paid for our sins in a body on the tree. Amen? Had a body just like you and I except without genetic flaw. But when he rose from the dead... That body had been changed like your body's going to be into a celestial body. So the body he paid for our sin in no longer exists in that state. It's not God just saying it. It's God telling you how he did it. Same body but changed. A simple illustration is a caterpillar. You hear little caterpillars walking along the ground. This butter flew over. He said, you'll never catch me one of those things. He didn't know where he was headed, did he? The caterpillar, it's the same caterpillar. 
but it undergoes a change. By the way, creation science, they got a video out. Do you know that little thing turns back to jelly inside that cocoon? And all the genetics kick back in. It just, just doesn't start growing wings. It goes back to jelly. And now that jelly comes out a butterfly. Yeah, through photography and stuff, now they've seen it. Disproves evolution because it has to start all over. It has to be reprogrammed and it flies out. Amen. See, right now we're just earth, we're just little caterpillars crawling around here. We weren't made for this. We were not made for a beautiful aquarium. We were made for the ocean sea of eternity. Amen. We're just passing through. Now, look at these verses. Turning your Bibles to Psalm 49. Look at a few verses and we'll wrap this up. You'll be home before it's midnight in New York. No, okay. All right. Oh, it already is. <laughs> look at the, no, actually, let's say California. Look at Psalm 49. These passages are cited in the New Testament. The burial of Christ, there's a lot of attention given to it. The Noah's flood, that ark is such a picture. And I can't say dogmatically how much that Noah would have thought these things, but he had to have something to hold on to, to think about. He had to make some connections. Okay? Are you in Psalm 49? Some of these Bibles now, they're so thin, you turn one page and you turn from one book to another. Look at verse number, can you see that print down there? Look at verse 14. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. And the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. The grave, the grave, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now look at this passage. Go to Isaiah 25. I came across this years ago, then I forgot about it. Then they come across it again, and about knocked me out of my chair, and I think I kind of forgot about it, and three or four or five years ago, I came across it again, and it knocked me out of my chair again, and I haven't forgot about it this time. Look at Jeremiah 25, 8. Look at this. Think about Jonah. When Jonah was swallowed by that well, that wasn't a curse. When Jonah came out of that well, he said, salvation is the Lord. The well saved Jonah physically. That wasn't a curse. He would have drowned. It would have been over with. Look at 25.8, Isaiah. He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And then we know about Jonah, okay? Then Matthew 12.40. Go to Matthew 12.40. Listen to what Jesus says here, Matthew 12, 40. Inside that ark is like being in a, in a tomb, is like being closed. Yeah, there's life there and so forth, but they're literally immersed. They were immersed under the wrath of God. Those floodwaters were the wrath of God. Do you know I've been through the wrath of God? He said, Brother Stuart, that explains it. You look like you've been through the wrath of God. I went through the wrath of God. Just like Noah did. He went through it in the ark. I went through it in Christ. Amen? I'm not popping off. I'm telling you the truth. Christ wasn't there for himself, was he? He was there for me. He was there for you. If you're saved, you've been through the wrath of God. My mother used to walk in my room sometimes. She said, what in the world's happening here? Your room looks like the wrath of God. 
I thought, Mom, you're exaggerating. It's not quite that bad, okay? And I begin to tell her about the story of Noah. No, but anyway, look at verse 40. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights where? In the heart of the earth. He's calling attention to his burial. He's making a big deal about it. All right? Go to, uh, I looked at the lights and now I got spots. Look at Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. Mark 15. Look at verse 42. Mark 15, verse 42. And now when the even was come, Mark 15, 42, because it was the preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, an honorable counselor, which was also waiting for the kingdom of God, came and went in boldly unto Pilate and craved the body of Jesus. And Pilate marveled if he were already dead. And calling unto him the centurion, he asked whether he had been any while dead. And when he knew it of the, of the centurion, he gave the body to Joseph. And he bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in the, in the sepulcher, which was hewn out of a rock and rolled a stone upon the door of the sepulcher. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. John chapter 19. Go to John chapter 19. John 19. John 19. Look at verses 38 to 42. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came there in two and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. That's a lot. And it may have been, had some sand in it because the way they would spread it around and stuff, it was a hundred pounds there. Then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen cloths with the spices at the manner as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, in the garden a new sepulcher where never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus therefore because the Jews' preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand, grave, sepulcher, tomb, etc. Now go back to the Old Testament for just a minute. Hosea, back to Hosea. I'm going to give you all but one verse tonight because I want to give you the best verse, I think, tomorrow night as we go into another point of the pictorial thing. Look at Hosea 13, 14. If they had, you know the Bible says in Hebrews they had the gospel preached unto them in the Old Testament. And I, I have no idea all that Noah would have known or thought about, but he had to have some of this stuff in an outline. Look at Hosea right after the book of Daniel. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. This is God talking. This is actually Jesus speaking. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, it's not just the death. It's not just the resurrection. The burial serves as a connection between the death and the resurrection. It's a state you and I are in. We want Jesus to go there ahead of us. I will be thy destruction. Repentance, I will not change my mind, shall be hid from mine eyes. All right, and since you're Baptist tonight, let's go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Just about done here tonight. Romans chapter 6. You and I, if Noah didn't get all this, we do. Amen? 
We can look back at this. Let me put this in context. I've just got a few moments here. We have 11 chapters in Genesis, 11, 1 through 11. It covers 2,000 years of history. We have creation in chapters 1 and 2. We have the fall in chapter 3 and the effects in 4 and 5. We have the flood account in four chapters. God calls more attention to the flood than He does to creation. This is a big deal. Four chapters in that section. And then we have the Tower of Babel. Then we have the family of Abraham being brought into the picture. Wow, this is something else. Okay, Look at Romans chapter 6. Look, when we baptize, the next time somebody's baptized here, and then the next time they're baptized, and the next time they're baptized, I want you to think about Noah's flood. It's just as though they're being put in the tomb of Jesus. Look at Romans chapter 6. Baptism is such a dramatic picture. Look at verse 4 for context. Therefore, Romans 6, 4, we are buried with Him by baptism into what? Not literally, but just as though. That's what we're picturing. That like as, it's a picture, it's a likeness. As Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. When Noah got off the ark, he was walking in newness of life. Yeah, we'll see that. The picture is amazing. We're able to look back with New Testament information, and it ought to have a bigger impact on us than maybe it even did on Noah. We shall, it says, for if we have been planted together, planted together, planted together, that means put in the ground, death, buried, in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Go to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. This has got a great word in it here, Colossians 2. What I'm trying to show you is there's all kinds of stuff about the burial of Christ. Look what it says in verse 12, because of time, we won't actually just jump in, into it. We won't take the time to talk about the, the context here. Look at verse 12. Look what it says here. This is a great word here. Buried with him in what? Baptism pictures the burial of Christ and how important it is, whereunto also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. Study that phrase a little bit. Have we got time to go with it? Who hath raised him from the dead. As I wrap this up, two more things I'll make a point on. I'm going to John 12, 24. John 12, 24. Because Jesus made a statement here. There's another passage in Isaiah we'll look at tomorrow. Just kind of setting the stage. John chapter 12. Look at verse 24. This is Jesus talking. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the what? Ground. And die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much what? Think of an ear of corn. You put a couple of seeds or maybe one seed in the ground, and here comes this plant. And not only does it have one ear of corn with dozens and dozens and dozens of seeds on it, but it has several. Look at the church tonight. You and I are a product of one seed being put in the ground. And it died, it was buried, and look at the fruit it's produced. Now, just to tickle you a little more, okay? You've got some other notes here that you can look at, but let me just share this with you, and I'll give you a statement, I'll be done. <laughs> when they came out of Egypt and they went toward the promised land, 
They came up to the Jordan River. Moses had died. Moses pictures Christ in his death. Joshua comes in. He picks up the transition between Moses and Joshua is the burial of Christ. Moses was died and God buried him. Joshua takes over. They come to the Jordan River. And the Jordan River, the waters were stood up. They put stones in the middle of the river. And then they went on the other side, the resurrected side. And the Bible says, this is Joshua 4, they put, they put rocks on the other side, the resurrection side. They were dying. They were wrecking themselves dead to their own strength. They were putting themselves completely at God's mercy. They were crossing over. It's a picture in the Old Testament. Of what, look at 1 Corinthians 10. It tells you. It's a picture of what you and I do when we get baptized. We reckon ourselves dead, buried, and resurrected in Christ to walk in newness of life. The new side of the Jordan River picks the New Testament life that God has for us. Joshua pictures Christ in his resurrection and his ascension. Amen? See, the Bible, you got Noah's flood, the death, burial, resurrection. Even Peter says that Noah's flood and water baptism are like figures. You know why God sent the flood? To leave behind something for us as a testimony. Let me tell you about a guy who gave his life. And, and here's, what, here's the word I want you to leave with tonight. Noah had to be passionate about what he was doing. And God wants you to be passionate about your Christian life. He wants you to be passionate about the gospel. Aren't you glad you're saved tonight? It's just as though you died and we're buried. And, and, and when Christ rose to the dead, he's our forerunner. He's the first fruits. I don't care if you light up every great preacher. It couldn't do its service. When we get to heaven, you're going to go, you're going to speak Hebrew. You're going to go, wow. That's Hebrew. That's short for hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Was Noah's flood dramatic? Absolutely dramatic. Was Christ's death, burial, resurrection dramatic? Your salvation was dramatic. All that was for you. Noah had passion. Brethren, we need more passion. Amen. This one thing. George Bernard Shaw gave his life to attack Christianity as a liberal philosopher. In his last writings wrote this, the science which I pin my faith on his deathbed, he said, is bankrupt. Its councils which have established the millennium led instead directly to the suicide of Europe. I believe them once, in their name, I helped destroy the faith of millions of worshipers in the temples of a thousand creeds. And now they look at me and witness the great tragedy of an atheist who lost his faith. Isn't it sad when the lost people are more zealous in their cause than we are? And we have such revelation, amen? I don't know how much Noah knew, but I know that story is in there for you and I. And it certainly pictures what God's done for us. Amen. Let's all stand as your pastor comes. On behalf of our church and staff, thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons and more information about our church, please visit hbchazlett.org.